0: When I think of TNG Season 1, there's usually two things that come to mind. First, there's the episodes I like. You know, episodes like Datalore and other ones that we'll get to later. And then I think of episodes that I really don't like, most of which we've already covered. Code of Honor, Justice, you know. Then there's episodes I don't think of because they're not really memorable. When I first pulled up which episode was gonna be next which I I don't really do that in advance I I wait until I'm at the episode and then I'm like alright what am I looking at too short of a season my first gut reaction was which episode is that then I actually you know pull it up open up my magazine I'm like okay huh and then like two or three solid seconds of processing I'm like oh right that one because this is not a particularly memorable episode now Usually there's a reason for that, you know, that's actually happened a couple times over in Voyager, for example, happened a couple times in Babylon 5, will probably happen over in DS9, especially for the early stuff, but I figured out a very definitive reason why that is in this case, in this specific episode, and that's that it is not a very memorable episode about a guest star taking over the show. It's pretty well done but I just don't have much to say about this. I would actually call this a good episode, but it's not a good Star Trek episode, or perhaps more accurately, it's not a good TNG episode. So I do want to comment on a couple of things behind the scenes before we get into this. Uh, three things in particular, excuse me, four things in particular. First of all, I've actually commented on Leonard Meisler before. i talked about him at least twice now. I think possibly three times. And there are reports which have been corroborated by multiple people, so again, I'd say with a, at least a reasonable amount of certainty this is the truth, that he, this was one of these specific episodes, uh, which I mentioned earlier, that he was trying to specifically edit. Now, that's an issue. First of all, th- this is one of those weird situations where the, lo- the rules and the legalities of a situation kind of work in our favor because there are very, very strict rules regarding how you operate in on a television show, especially in the 80s and 90s and 2000s. I actually don't know how much of that's true now. As I've said before, I'm not really a big... Uh, I'm not as in, uh, well-versed in modern television and the way TV works nowadays as I am back when syndication and networks and uh, all of that regulation was still involved. But back in the day, you don't just show up as the lawyer and edit a script. That doesn't happen. In fact, that is so not, that so doesn't happen that there were actually threats of a suit over this if they didn't pull back on this one. And one of the people threatening that was Rick Berman. And I just feel like pointing that out because I can't stand Rick Berman, and I will make that more clear in the future as things go badly, and why I think he started to become a neg- net negative influence rather than a net positive on the Star Trek series. But you gotta say, for seasons 1 through 3, Rick Berman was the producer who went to bat for Star Trek. And you know what? I do think he deserves credit for that. I really do. He was the one who kept the money people happy and who was willing to pull legality in favor of the creative work of the show. I think I talked about this before when Rick Berman was first brought on board and he was just kind of a guy and it was like, okay. And he and Roddenberry just kind of clicked and Berman fell in love with the franchise, with Star Trek itself. And so he did legitimately and passionately throw himself into this. That does not excuse some of his behavior, which we'll talk about later. But I do want to be 100% fair about my opinions and giving credit where credit is due. He's not all bad. It it doesn't work like that. It's a real life, you know. Next thing I want to talk about... Is an interesting thing that's actually related to this point. As I've said many times, TNG season one was the most barest of shoestring budgets. They had so many issues financially when making this season, but they really wanted to have this futuristic, you know, chair, wheelchair situation thing. Now. I wasn't able to get a name, so forgive me, but apparently they subcontracted the creation of this to someone outside of Paramount's proper prop department. And so they made the thing you see in the episode. You see it like three scenes, I want to say, in the episode? And for the most part, the director, just uh, who is Rob Bowman, I'll talk about in a second, just kind of tried to shoot around. it. You can kind of see that in the episode. It only really features a couple of times. It only moves once in the entire episode. The whole intention, the whole purpose behind this presentation was to make it look like this big, super tng futuristic chair. But the actual physical prop was apparently a colossal pain, barely moved, and was basically it, there were issues with its stability. So if you ever watch any of the scenes where it's in, you notice he's sitting really, really carefully, and then he moves around a little bit. The, the camera kind of goes up as if it's trying to get away from the wheelchair because the wheelchair was doing this, <laughs> not very convincing looking. In fact, it looked kind of like a fake piece of crap, which is what it was. It was also very expensive. And that informs the problem of both this episode and the next couple episodes as well, because... The expense that went into that one piece-of-crap prop was not insignificant. It was so large that they had to turn this episode into a full-bottle show with only one actual action set piece, which is a really, really tepid one when it comes to special effects, uh, and as well as some other things, and some other issues which we'll discuss when we go on in the future. Yay. I want to also give special praise to Rob Bowman. I have brought him up before. He did Datalore. Lore, and he also does a few other pretty good episodes in the future. Q, who is probably the most famous one, he does a good job with this episode. There's several scenes where his directing style adds energy where there probably shouldn't be any. And I found myself enjoying a lot of his presentation of what was happening. Probably the only exception being the aforementioned you know, laser fight, which, again, I'll get to when we get there. I also want to give praise to Clayton Rohner. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's the gentleman who plays Admiral Jameson. He does do a good job. He does actually a great job. I would say he is one of the best, if not the best. uh, I would say at this point in time, he's the best guest star we've had in TNG. Now, I know what you're saying, but John Delancey's been on here. Yeah, and John DeLancey wasn't that great in the previous two episodes he's been in. Q as Q, John DeLancey really showing his chops, doesn't really happen until Q who, at least by memory. We'll see if that's true in reality. So I would still say that he's actually our best guest, guest star so far in TNG. I am, of course, not counting Brent Spiner as lore for obvious reasons. <sighs> Now we now that I've said all that uh, you might notice I haven't even talked about the episode yet. I have a note here. 15 minutes and 35 seconds was the first time I had anything to talk about in the episode. 15 minutes. Speaking as someone who this is my job. I mean I've been doing this for 6 years now. I'm I feel very comfortable analyzing a work and I feel very comfortable especially with TNG I know TNG so well I don't know if it's come across in my ruminations I have felt so much more comfortable sitting here and talking about TNG and Deep Space Nine with you guys it just kind of it flows naturally you know what I mean so I don't have to force it I don't have to think god I need something more to talk about because I have those thoughts from time to time it's like oh god maybe I've this and uh, there's I've been watching this episode for like 10 minutes I have nothing to say you know that kept happening in Babylon 5 for example So for 15 minutes, a full third of the episode to go by, and me have nothing to say about it, probably says a lot about this episode in general and why I considered it not particularly memorable. I do want to talk about this as a concept, though. This is actually not the the last time TNG will suffer this exact problem. Um, The basic problem here is that this is the Admiral Jameson episode. No, seriously, if you watch this episode, he is the main character, bar none. He is in almost every single scene. He is present constantly. Everything is revolving around him. All of the interactions with the actual main characters of the show are interactions they're having ancillary to him. Now, some of that's good. I want to give special praise. There's a couple of little minor notes. For example, in one scene, Jameson is in a room, and it's specifically darkened, so, uh, Karin, or whatever his name is, the bad guy, can't see his face, right? And he says, I want to open a channel. And Picard says, hmm, what's the purpose? Oh, I want to do this. Okay, well, might I suggest it be secured? Good idea. Okay. And then he goes ahead and asks for it. And there's this tiny little bit where Data just kind of turns to the side, looking at da- looking at Picard in unspoken request for confirmation for the order. Very nice, very subtle point that I liked there. And then Picard confirms it. Yes, make it so. But, again, that, scene, that bit with Picard, that bit with Data, that's them acting as a secondary purpose to Jameson's primary focus, where he then goes ahead and has his little thing with the uh the private call where he finds out oh my god there's no terrorist it's just i don't even remember his damn name it's a shame he's actually a good actor he played a klingon back in the original series I recognize his face uh he's done some voice acting work too good guy anyways <clears throat> and it's it's weird because it's not like it's a bad episode it's just i'm sitting here and it's like i have nothing to talk about One thing I found amusing was at about the 15-minute mark, and this is the first thing I wrote here, as I just mentioned, it's funny to me that the only one legitimately suspicious of what's going on is Crusher. And that's even funnier because the directing and the music and the editing all indicate that everyone is in shock that this guy is walking when he gets up out of his his incredibly expensive wheelchair prop and walks down to the con. Everyone is in shock. There's even like a musical sting, like, da 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 da, you know, when he gets up or when he starts walking, everyone's, like, Oh my God, how is this possible? Because he has a degenerative disease with no known cure, which prevents him from walking. So it's a nice, impacting moment. And everyone just kind of accepts it. I'm undergoing some treatment. What? <laughs> And when they finally call it out, it turns out to be basically techno babble. I mean, I hate to say it like that, but there is no true explanation given for this. There's some kind of youth crafting serum, which he takes all of because he's a prideful git. Oh, that reminds me. One of the better scenes in this episode is actually the scene where he basically launches into a tirade against Picard. And then Picard demands to know a couple of things. The Admiral just says, nope. Picard says, okay, I'll be on the bridge. I like to think that Picard more or less left him to the wolves there. In this case, the wolves being represented as his wife. I don't mean that as a joke or an anti-feminist thing or a ha-ha, marriage is terrible. No, I mean this guy deserves to be ripped to shreds by his wife for this. And I mean that with total sincerity. Because, and we do actually get a lot of investment in this guy. I'll talk about that in a second. This guy found this cure thing okay was willing to test it on himself okay, turned out to be working didn't want to test it on her okay, all of this is okay so far he had another dose for her, we're still okay, then this mission comes up and because of his guilt, which is actually addressed later, he decides to just chug the rest of it for himself so that he can get super young super fast, rather than the multi-year process it's supposed to be, and effectively kills himself That's when things get a little less understandable. The first problem, and I'm sure any of you out there with a brain noticed, is the fact that he never tells his wife this. I want to remind you that these people have been married for a range of decades, and yet his he, he finds this thing which might work, and at no point does he say, Honey, I found this thing which might work! It's called communication. Uh, and, and it's funny because one of the points of the episode is that age and wisdom are a good thing. And yet this guy with all his supposed age and wisdom is a frickin' moron. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hate to harp on this point. But this is a problem not just in fiction but in real life. Base communication between a couple should be like ground floor. That should be like 101 of relationship teaching whatever methods, you know communicate. And yet he doesn't even mention this to his wife. Why? And don't give me that it's the pride thing, because that is his major flaw, his pride. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have to tell her. He could just say, I want to do this. I want to be less of a burden on you. Don't worry. I've got some for you. We can enjoy our lives, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's a possibility, buddy. No, 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 no. He doesn't tell her. And then we get to the really screwed up part, which is where he takes the other dose. Just clunk! Rather than the slow, controlled, gradual thing. It is implied, though never stated outright in the episode, that he dies as a result of this action. That this might have worked normally if he had de-aged at a regular pace. Crusher herself mentions that the amount of pain he's in and the organ imploding problem is because he's de-aging too quickly. That his body literally can't keep up. So it's, again, implied that if he had just had a brain about this, this could have worked out. But no, 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 no. it's much better to deny his wife the possibility of an extended lifespan and to kill himself so she's alone. Good job. (sighs) Let's talk about his pride really quick. The episode and the actor, again, credit to the director, credit to the actor, does some good things with presenting Admiral Jameson. We get a surprisingly in-depth picture of what kind of a man this man is. But I've already kind of given this away. You could summarize all of him, if we were to bullet point this, with the word pride. This is a man who hates not being on the bridge. Who hates not being involved in the action. Who hates flaws in his record. And who hates having to be taken care of by someone else. Being a burden. A burden. Having to be this invalid that his wife has to take care of. You can see how much it bothers him. And I understand that. No, I, I really do. That would bug the crap out of me. I imagine it would bug the crap out of most people. But we also see that he takes it a little bit further than most people do. Like, he butts heads with Picard, I think, four times, I think? Three or four times throughout the course of the episode over who's in command, who's in charge. It just keeps happening. And then every time he is on the bridge and takes a con, he either slips up a little bit verbally or his body language, especially when he gets younger, is so clearly, I'm the one in charge here. This is my ship and my bridge. And he has to be reminded of the fact that that's not actually true. This is where I I come to a note, and this, again, relates specifically to Admiral Jameson, because it's really hard to care about what is effectively a one-off character, and yet at the same time, the episode spends so much time with him, it avoids the usual pitfall of this kind of writing. Let me explain what I mean. How many times have you seen a fictional work, I I can think of several examples just off the top of my head, which I'm not going to share because I don't want to sound mean, of where Bob is here, and Bob's a regular character, and suddenly we see Bob 2, because they're all named Bob, and Bob 2 dies, oh my god, no, and Bob is horribly grief-stricken because that was his lover, right? We've never seen Bob 2. We, the viewer, or the player, or whatever happens to be. We have never seen this person, or we've only seen them for like 15 minutes or something, right? We have no investment in that character, because they had no real screen time. Make sense? So this episode kind of bypasses that by giving Jameson basically all of the screen time. But I still found myself so deinvested in the episode as a whole... And I'm not really... I can't quite put my finger on why. As ever, I love hearing your guys' comments. A lot of you... seven of my episodes have started going live by now as I'm recording this. And I love reading your guys' comments. And the people of you who disagree with me or the people of you who agree with me but only on one thing, but disagree with me on the other thing. Please, please continue being honest. Continue sharing those comments with me. I'd love to hear your thoughts, especially about this point in particular. Were you invested in Jameson? Did you care? Why did you care? You know, why didn't you care? I'd love to hear this, because I'm just kind of... I feel like I'm spinning my wheels here. I don't understand why half the episode I was just doing this. Excuse me, a third of the episode. Because I was. I was just sitting here with... I actually had the pillow, because, you know, I like to rest my arms here. So I was sitting here with the pillow just kind of like this, like... Just waiting to take a note. So... there's a nice moment later on where jameson is in the conference room and picard comes in and they both there's this this nice little human moment of two commanders sharing the burdens of command they both comment on how you know i i can never really sleep before a mission i'm always too nervous always thinking or rethinking trying to figure out what's going on and it's also nice because i feel like picard did that in universe on purpose. Remember, Picard and him have butt heads over this several times. This is way towards the end of the episode at this point. But at this point, Picard, who has a brain, has finally figured out the way he can try to get uh, Jameson to open up. And so he does that by appealing to his sense of being a fellow officer. As a fellow officer, it is my men and women that you are leading into combat. Tell me what's going on. I have a right to know. And that's when Jameson acquiesced, and we find out the truth about the interesting deal he did. It's a great human moment. Then we find out the actual deal that Jameson did. Mm, this is interesting in its own right. Because what happens is Jameson demanded weapons for hostages. Cough, cough, Contra. Cough, cough. Remember, this is the late 80s. The whole Contra scandal was actually still pretty fresh in people's memories. Uh, We'll see that again when we get to conspiracy. So, you know, looking at this situation, it's like, hmm, that's a a tricky situation. There's a lot that can be said morally, ethically, and from a command perspective, and from a long-term governmental, uh, ethical, and political perspective when it comes to weapons for hostages. What I find even more intriguing about that is that Jameson decided to go ahead and say yes, and then also armed the other side. Now, he claimed that his intent was to basically deliberately provoke a quick, bloody war and then walk out. As we find out, it was four decades of civil war. And they don't really say too much about this, but it is implied that Jameson himself was a very unpopular figure on this world. Remember, there were people who were specifically shown up. Veterans, old soldiers, who he wanted to see all the scars of the war, and he wanted to show them all the scars of the land and all that. He promised his people that he would bring justice to him and all that. You get the impression that Jameson has become a rather well-known and reviled figure amongst the entirety of the populace, probably on both sides. And of course, that makes sense. It's a lot easier to blame Jameson than themselves. See, that's what I do like about this episode. Picard helps to bring it back a little bit. The episode, up until Picard's speech, because you got to have the Picard speech, tries to make it out that Jameson is the bad guy, and I forget his name. You know, the hostage taker is the sympathetic villain. You know, basically, the one, the victim of, involved in this. It is Picard who slams down and says, "No." That's not how that works. You fought a war for 40 years. You could have tried peace. You could have tried whatever. And the guy's only response to that is, if he'd just given us weapons, we would have crushed the enemy. Uh Uh-huh. And I think that's probably one of the only subtle, complicated points this episode has that I really enjoy. The idea is not that Jameson is the bad guy or whether or not what he did is right or wrong. That's almost secondary, ironically enough. It's about what we do with the tools that we are given. Making the wrong choices and paying for that. This man and his army and his command staff fought a civil war for longer than I've been alive. And they chose to do that. They had those tools, they had those weapons. The scale of war had been brought up as a consequence. And at no time did peace... Or cooperation or armistice occurred to them it was just war Jameson is the same way he was given a tool that could have led to something great that he could have taken and tried to make something better out of and he decided to in his short-sightedness or his foolishness or whatever you want to call it he decided to chug it he dies for that mistake and his wife is denied whatever benefits might have come from that. Assuming it ever worked to begin with. That is, of course, speculation. It's possible that it would have never worked, and it would have always killed him. <sighs> I, I do have a couple other things here. I'm Sorry, I'm just looking down at my notes here to, to cover everything. There's a nice scene. I've, I've kind of covered most of the episodes, so I've got to rewind a little bit. There's a nice scene where Picard... Basically says, do not beam down. And then, so of course, him and Jameson butt heads yet again. It's like the fifth time at that point. Or fourth time, excuse me. And Picard says, no, I will beam down with you. I found that hysterical because from an out-of-character perspective, that's Patrick Stewart saying, I want to be in this episode, damn it! (laughs) Because he kind of hadn't been up to this point. Uh, Speaking of not being in this episode, Tasha Yar has... Near as I can tell, and I might have missed a a little, you know, shields up kind of a line or whatever, but she has only one substantive line in the entire episode, where she says, why don't we just beam them out from the area? And he says, no, it's better to go scan it manually, which is probably one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. No, seriously. That is the gaping flaw in this plot. Why don't they just beam them out? Now, later episodes will go out of their way to explain a reason why that's not available. This episode makes no such attempt. And in fact, Yar flat out states, unless Yar is incredibly incompetent, which I can't really believe, she states that they can just beam them out from an area. You can't beam them out if you can't scan the spot first. That's just kind of how that works. You know, you have to be able to look at and then grab the data to beam up, right? Logical. So, um, <laughs> pray tell, why is it they haven't just looked down and scanned for the ambassador and the hostages and just beamed them up? Said, all right, now what? Yeah, that's, that's a pretty big flaw in the episode. You know what another flaw in this episode is? The hostage taker gets away with it scot-free. He wanted revenge. He wanted a scapegoat to point out and say, it's your fault didn't do anything wrong. You're the one who gave me weapons and gave my enemy weapons. I could have won. I could have brought peace and prosperity to my new empire! But instead, you gave weapons to my enemy. So it's your fault. And he gets away with this with no repercussions whatsoever. He takes hostages, threatens to kill them, and I quote, slowly and horribly they say that twice throughout the course of the episode. And then he gets his revenge. He gets what he wanted. He watches Jameson die in agony. And then he says, I'm prepared to be cooperative now that I've had my revenge. And that's it. This random dude on a planet who is clearly not a member of the Federation just happened... To go ahead and get away with kidnapping and threatening execution by torture of Federation personnel, and the consequences are thanks for our people back. Bye. I know I keep hammering this point in, but the Federation's ambassadorial policies in early TNG are just face palming. Anyways, is that it? Is everything looking at my list? Yep, nope. Uh, I don't have much else to share or add, so I do hope you've enjoyed my discussion of this episode, and I will be seeing you guys next time.